Hey. <laughs> yes. Hey. Good to see. You. Oh, okay. The sisters, right? <laughs> All right. Hey, as we turn to Mark chapter four, we are reminded that the book of Mark is a book of action, isn't it? And we have gone from one action to another action to another action. It just flows from one action to another. And we see Jesus moving all over Israel, especially in Galilee, right? So Mark is concentrating on that activity, uh, the, the very moving activity that Jesus has in His ministry. And we don't see so much in his teachings. I mean, they're there, but we don't see as much as what we would see in Matthew with the long discourses. Well, now we have come on one today where he has a discourse, and Mark is emphasizing this, uh, this great message, this teaching. So that must mean there's something vitally important here. <laughs> and we know that any time we get into God's Word, everything is vitally important, isn't it? But to Mark, this really stuck out at him. He said, okay, we've got to slow down just for a moment. And we have to bring this out in front where everybody can understand it here. Uh, it's a very important parable that it's going to be dealing with. This is a significant uh, place where we're at. It's very timely because of where we have been. And it's very critical for us to understand the response or the responses that people had of Jesus. They were different. And you remember last week, so we're tying in with where we were at last week and at the end of chapter 3, right into chapter 4. And we know that one of the misunderstandings, as far as the response is concerned, of uh, some people who were the religious leaders, that response wasn't too good. Matter of fact, it was to the extreme. That response was that they did not understand him or they didn't want to understand who he was and said that his ministry as far as casting out demons was actually from Satan himself. And so that's one of the extremes that they did there. Um, then there was uh, another misunderstanding that the just the ordinary people of Israel had and it was that he was there to give them healings and give them what they wanted. And so they mistook Him for that and they mistook Him as being the one who was going to be the king that would free them from all their woes of the uh, Roman Empire. And there is another misunderstanding and it actually came from His own family, His kinfolk. Yes, that's His mother and brothers, sisters, His friends and around Him. And of course, in that text, it showed that they thought he lost his senses. They thought he had gone mad. You remember that? And matter of fact, they not only thought that he had gone mad, so mad that they wanted to seize him or arrest him to force him out of there and take him back home. And that's kind of where we left off. So that was at the very end of that. From verses 31 through 35, we're going to quickly go over that. We read it last week, but this is dealing with his mother and brothers, and they're they're there. We kind of already introduced that before. This is like a sandwich. There you have his own that are out there, and then you have the deal with the religious leaders. Now it's back to his own. They're outside, and they can't get in because it's so crowded. Remember, it's so crowded all the time. It seems to be it's probably at Peter's house or the headquarters in Capernaum, 
and so often he is there. The crowds are always there, it seems like, and uh, of course they're listening to him and uh, doesn't say that there was healing going on, but probably was. But they're requesting that uh, the attention is given to Jesus that uh, he knows that they're there because they want to speak to him. Matter of fact, they not only want to speak to him, they want to seize him, right? They want to take him out of there. Let's get this, It's just gone far enough. This is crazy. This is just ridiculous. And so that's where he's at. Well, he uses this opportunity as they say, hey, your brother and your mother's outside. They want to talk to you. And then he just nails it down. And it, it had to be shocking. It had to be shocking to everybody. He said, my brother and my mother... Uh, even my sisters, all my kinfolk, really are right here. Here are my brother and mother. Here are my sisters. They're the ones who obey me. The ones who obey Him are the ones who are in that family. Now, Jesus is not putting down family. Matter of fact, He holds it up highly in uh, Scripture because it is a foundation of society. It is something that God has blessed us with. Uh, It's a a basis. It's one of the greatest blessings we have, isn't it? To have family and and people around that are so close to us. So it's sad to say what is happening down in our society um, 2,000 years later. It's uh, held in even less esteem, much less esteem than what they had. It's breaking down before our very eyes. Matter of fact, every day it seems like it's breaking down even more, doesn't it? So it's sad to see that. And we know that eventually the family, and even right now, is not resembling what it really is. Uh, the idea of the family before the world, uh, the world who is destroying that fabric of this society, is redefining marriage, redefining family. And uh, we've heard of all the things of where that can go. And it makes a hero. Just in the last couple of weeks, you've heard it in the news about a basketball player making a hero out of his homosexuality and uh, coming out and telling everybody. For an athlete to do that, that's incredible. And it's all over the news, right? It makes a hero out of him. Laws are changing every day. And it's against the people's vote even in the states who voted that they did not want same-sex marriages, right? And the government is doing whatever they want to do. They're getting away with all this. But that's not our emphasis today. We're not going there. But what I am saying is, yes, we are pro-family, aren't we? You betcha. But in this case here, Jesus is showing that there's a spiritual family that is far above our physical family. And he says, the ones who are my brothers, my sisters, my mother, are the obedient people. And that is an eternal importance, isn't it? Eternal. Not just temporal here on earth. So often we can take something out of something good. Family is one of the best gifts we have. And we can even take that and do what with it? Make an idol out of it. And we've been guilty of that. But people uh, have always rated the family very high. And uh, the way that it's being taken now, we know uh, that it's not elevated in the scriptural way. But the family can never be elevated above the Lord. And that's what we're talking about. The ultimate spiritual family is what matters, isn't it? It's that eternal family. 
And these are the people who have a real relationship with Christ. And so therefore, they have it with each other. And it's based upon the bonds of Christ. Uh, fellowship. And that's uh, mentioned in 1 John 1. This fellowship is with Christ. And because of that, we have a great fellowship amongst ourselves. This is family. And there's nothing that compares with God's family, is there? What a beautiful, beautiful blessing we have in that. Anyway, people were uh, misunderstanding Jesus all along. And here they are today. Are people misunderstanding Jesus? You betcha. Most of the world is not saved. They totally misunderstand Him. And even the ones who are Christians sometime or even often misunderstand Jesus and His sayings. But I'll tell you what, back at that time, we know the crowds were following Him. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're so big, it's now scary. The family even comes, tries to retrieve Him. But few there be in that crowd who are really true believers. Now that's hard to imagine because they, they know that what He's doing is true. His miracles are true and they're not even attributing it to Satan. The religious leaders might be. But now we come to this parable, I think, that so aptly explains what is going on. People would say, well, I saw that person, you know, they came to church. Boy, they were excited and they joined the church and got baptized. I, I mean, everything was going along and within the next year, uh, as it seemed like they just kept getting hungry, and then all of a sudden, you didn't see them anymore. Never heard from them or anything. Whatever happened to, to Joe? What, what happened? And, and Mary, she did the same thing. She was here for a few months, and then she just quit. Well, we don't know for sure, but I think uh, this parable can explain a lot of things for people who seem to get excited, and then they just drift, and you never hear from them again. And it could be that uh, what the parable is saying is that they never had any root whatsoever. Jesus makes a lot of explanations. The parable uh, is uh, is an incredible study. Um, this is a parable about parables, <laughs> I guess you could say. So what we're going to do is open up our Bibles and uh, move to chapter 4, verse 1. We'll take the first nine verses here. He began to teach again by the sea. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Another seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears, let him here. Okay, we'll stop at that section. The parable. This is the first part, the parable. Parables. Really important teaching tool to Jesus. He uses them so often. They're so effective in bringing deep spiritual truth into life. The, the life comes out of it. It's like, wow, I never saw it that way. Now I do. I, have you ever had that happen? I'm sure you do. <laughs> when you discover a truth. 
uh, he, and he takes everyday items, takes a story, things that people can relate to, says it and puts it out there for them to understand. So this particular parable, I want you to get this, is the key that unlocks the door to all your other parables. And I've read uh, many different commentators this week, and uh, some of them so often said that this is it. And Jesus says, and we'll see that in, in a few verses later, and that's why I can, without a doubt, say this, that this, if you understand this parable, then the other ones can fall into place. But if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the other ones. Jesus says that to the disciples. And so we need to take heed to, to this and what it means. So the, the unlocking there, this key is really uh, something for us. This has to be understood. So we get into verse 1. He began to teach again by the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea, sat down, the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. There they are. They're ready for his teaching. He moves out of the house. Now, you, got, you have a crowded house already, right? This just packed. And according to this line here, if he came from uh, where the mother and the brothers were and everything, and eventually, we don't know, it, we don't have the timing here. It could be days later, it could be that moment. Whatever it is, the house has been packed and uh, you can't get anybody else in. You can't even get your own family in. So it's time to take this outdoors. And he's going to have a lot more people coming to where he's at. So he goes to the seashore. Does this sound familiar in the book of Mark? He's constantly going to the seashore. And that's pretty cool because, you know, where Peter lived, uh, very possibly, they say, was very close to the seashore. He had moved there. He was right there. His house was there. It's the headquarters for this whole ministry. I think that's a great thing because they can just take a few blocks walk down to the seashore. Your house is there and then boom, there you are. Wouldn't you love to have a house by the beach. <laughs> well, that's what he has. And that's where Jesus goes. It's amazing how those things kind of work out. It's a great place to teach. So he goes out of the house, and I do want to tell you, as it says, and I, and I say this every week, and it probably seems like I'm repeating it, but I'm just going with what Mark says. And such a very large crowd gathered to him. Some of the commentators said this is probably the biggest crowd that he has had yet. Now, I have just voluminized this every week into this crowd. I'm just trying to get this picture of this super, super crowd, and now the crowd has just multiplied more than ever before. What are you going to do with all these people? And they're pressing in. I mean, they could they could trample on him as they get close. You know, people want to touch him, feel him. They, you know, they, they want to get healed. And Jesus is, you know, he's right there. And so there's the crowd. So we've been emphasizing this, and that's a key, though, because Jesus is now going to explain what is going on. You can have a large, large crowd of people that would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But when it really comes down to the real crux of the matter, only a few are really true. So many people profess Jesus Christ but if their lives are not in a matter of obedience to Christ and hungering for His Word, they're probably not His or not His yet. It's not for us to necessarily know where they're at in that, but it can tell us if we're confused of saying there's so many people sitting in the pews today that don't seem like they're regenerated. 
Well, that would go along with this parable. Just because people say they're Christians doesn't make them Christians, does it? And so, this is an ideal time now to do this. Remember all the responses from the people, responses from the Pharisees, the scribes, even the responses from his own family at this time. Seaside is just as about as good a place you can be. Uh, The synagogue is only going to hold so much. And it doesn't seem like he's making too much of an effect there because every time he's there, there are Pharisees to cause a ruckus. And of course, Jesus turns that into something good. But this is even better. It's ideal to preach from. You have this shore shelved gently down and it just kind of keeps coming down a little bit and a little bit more on this grade all the way down to the water's edge. And it makes a natural amphitheater. He's going to be able to speak to thousands at one time and people can hear him without amplification. His voice must have been really like a leather lung anyway, you know. I mean he was he had to be physically very strong, all the walking that he did and everything that he did, and I think he was very strong in his voice so that many people could hear him. And uh, not only was this a practical approach that he's doing in this place where they're gonna hear him and you're gonna have um, his voice bouncing off the water and then onto that amphitheater, kind of like what you have there. And, and as it grades upwardly, it's just going to kind of bounce back. And uh, so it works to his advantage. But it's rather unorthodox for Jesus to preach from a, a boat to a hillside. He's in a boat, right? That's what it, it says here. He got into a boat in the sea. Now, that sounds familiar. Has, have we seen that already? Yeah, he's done that. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 9. I want to refer back there quickly. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd. He already knew it. So he says, hey guys, I'll tell you what, there's going to be a tremendous crowd here. They're coming up. Get the boat out there ready. Now that's a little boat. That's like a rowboat. Okay? This time it's a different Greek word. I think it's probably a fishing vessel. Something a little bit bigger than what he had been in before because it's a different word and it can mean that. A large fishing vessel. So he made this unorthodox approach to the people. And he takes unusual methods. But a lot of methods that people are familiar with as he goes into a parable and says, wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day or any day? Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus, and I can imagine it just gets quiet. People are ready to listen to what He has to say. What is He going to say today? And, uh, of course, this parable here is is something we're all familiar with. Everybody's heard it. Probably heard it hundreds of times. And if you haven't, well, great. It's totally fresh to you. If you've heard it hundreds of times, it's going to be fresh again as you read it. Let God speak, right? This is His Word. His Holy Spirit. Let Him speak. (laughs) Let Him speak. It's His Word. So, they're willing. They're ready. They want to hear the Word. Jesus just comes up with kind of cool new methods. But it's preaching the Word. Really is all it is. But I, I think that's what is is to us too. I think we have to, in, in a, being effective, we have to be able to adjust to wherever the Lord has put us and, and what the deal is as far as individuals and as far as the church is concerned. To be able to use different situations to be able to meet the need of lost people to get that seed out to them to be effective in winning the lost. 
So, you know, that's a, I think that's a word to us as we look at Jesus as He never changes the gospel message. He has different ways to get into it and do it. But it always boils down to who He is, what salvation is, and for people to listen to His truth. I mean, He's a teacher of teachers. And this is His message. All I'm doing is just reading it and kind of commenting about it through the help of many different commentators. And hopefully this will just come to life to us today, even though you've heard this so many times. Well, what's going on here? Well, a parable, just for a moment, let's let's describe a parable. A parabole, in the Greek parabole, para is alongside, right? Very easy, parallel, alongside. And bale, I like to relate that to ball. What do you do with a ball? You throw it. A parabole means to throw down alongside. So there's a parallel, alongside, to throw down alongside. That's easy, right? You learned your Greek word for the day. uh, What is it? Parable or parabole. Okay. So it's dealing with comparison. Just comparing something familiar, something that you know, with something you don't know kind of unfamiliar with. It's taking any kind of uh, analogy, taking any kind of illustration, taking any kind of story. It's taking something in general. A broad category here of a parable is to make clear of bringing in some kind of illustration to make whatever is obscure to people, to make it clear. But then also uh, it can be meant to make the clear obscure. And we'll see that in this lesson that Jesus teaches too. The Old Testament uses parables too. This is not the first time we're running into parables. We've already seen it in in chapter 3 in our text last week. And of course you see it all through the Gospels. How can you miss it? But in the Old Testament, quite frequently you will see parables. One of them you can think of as uh, Nathan the prophet who lived during the time of David, and David did his sin with Bathsheba, and he wound up killing, getting her husband killed, Uriah. All sorts of terrible things happened as a result. And a year later, here comes the prophet Nathan to David, tells a story about a poor man who had his sheep uh, stolen by a rich man. And David's hearing this, and he said, how terrible that is, you know, and for that man, the rich man, to steal for the poor. And then Nathan says, you are the man. Boom. David got the story. After a year later, he got it <laughs> as he was languishing in his sin, wasting away. And the prophet convicts him, cuts him right to the very point of repentance and confession. David knew what that little parable was about. That's what it took to show him where he was at. Boom. Parables. The Word of God can come in there and just stick us, right? Have you ever been stuck by God's Word? Twisted. If you haven't, then you're you're not a Christian because that's what He does. He convicts us of sin. And uh, we know what he's saying. Back in Mark 3.23, we looked at last week, um, they said, oh, he's Beelzebub. Uh, he's possessed by him. He cast out those demons by the ruler of the demons, by Satan. That's how he's doing that. And Jesus says, 
Come here. Spoke to him in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? Right? So he uses that, that illustration. He lays it right alongside of just what they said. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? That's easy, isn't it? That would be ridiculous for you to be going against yourself. And, and he says, if, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So he lays down something very simple. Yeah, a kingdom would destroy itself if it started getting within. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Right? So those are parables there in a broad category. That's that's the idea. He just lays something down. And of course, whenever it's so clear that they couldn't deny it, what can they have to say, right? And so there, there it is. Uh, originally, parables were meant to be heard and not read. And you say, well, what do you mean that? Well, they didn't really have, they didn't carry around their Old Testament. They didn't carry their big scrolls around, you know, like this. <laughs> um, they didn't have the Bibles like we do today, bound like this. And we have an Old and New Testament all together right here. And we can read it any time we want. Isn't that incredible? And those people didn't have that. And you know what? We sometimes forget that. And we have Bibles all over the house and we haven't picked it up in a week. Oh yeah, Sunday. That's what I did. I I brought it. There. I left it over there on the coffee table, and oh, I forgot to read it this week again. Ugh. Right? Well, take advantage of your Bibles, your commentaries, your concordances. They didn't have any of those things. They just they heard the message. Well, parables are really something that can really stick within somebody's mind because it's made so simple. Jesus is just the greatest teacher in the world, in heaven. <laughs> and the universe, right? He is the teacher. Well, they had to get the message right there. They don't have notes to take home or anything. So they're easy to remember. Well, so we know that's why Jesus used parables. It definitely caught their attention, didn't it? It had to catch their attention. Everybody likes a story. You know, that's why we you know, we like to go to, to theaters or turn on a, a have a video on it. It's great. Stories are a good thing. Of course, when they're done with worldly thinking, then we have to think, okay, how does that fit into God's plan? <laughs> you know, we, we always kind of see that. But, but as stories are, are are cool, you know, uh, you know, little kids starting in, way way they're real young, <laughs> and they love to hear those stories. Adults still like to hear stories. Uh, they're familiar with things that are being talked about. That's another thing. Um, the abstract ideas. Spiritual things can be abstract to people sometimes. It's totally over their heads. They don't get it. They have no way of understanding that. And the New Testament comes on. Talks about Abraham, for instance. An Old Testament character. And talks about his faith. Now, faith can be an abstract idea. You know, I mean, you can't touch faith. You can't see it. You can't hear it. I mean, faith is kind of abstract. What is faith? You know, it's believing. Okay, what is believing? What is it? What is it? Well, in Abraham, faith becomes real. In Abraham, the person, it becomes flesh. Abraham was flesh or human, right? Flesh there is good. You know, human. Okay, in a human form. Flesh, uh, our faith becomes personified in the life of Abraham. So we see that in Romans 4, for instance. Does that make sense? So that's, a, that's an illustration, laying it something down. It becomes real now with something that seemed to be so much over the head. And uh, that's what Jesus did so often. And what it does too, it compels people to think. 
to think for themselves. You start thinking, oh, that's what he said. How's that apply to my life here? I think I get it. I think what, what he's saying there. Yeah, so it starts coming to life in your own thinking. And what it does, and that's for the people who want to hear. Then there are people who do not want to hear. They don't care to hear. They're too lazy to discover the riches. And so it conceals the truth. Because they don't want to hear it. He says, okay, I'll take that from you. You're not going to understand what that is. And we'll see that in a moment. And it's a statement of judgment. To those that love to hear, it's, it's music to our ears. To the other ones, it's really about judgment. Isn't it frightening to think about the fact that an unbeliever can reach a point of judgment that is final? Now, we don't know when that is. And don't ever give up on somebody until it's over and they, they still have not repented. But uh, I will tell you here that it is frightening to know that. We looked at that text last week that dealt with the unpardonable sin. Jesus was pronouncing judgment on a group of religionists who should have known better. And He was really saying that right then and there, they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and they'll never get their sins forgiven. He could do that. That's how hardened their heart was. That's hard. That's real hard. So you can reach that point. Okay, now we get to verse 3. He's teaching the parable. Listen. It's the first word. Listen. I think if Jesus says something, I think we need to what? Listen. Right? Hey, can I say that? Can we all say that together? Listen! Yeah, okay. This is about listening to the king of the universe. He has something to tell us. If he has something to say, I heard a commercial, you know, remember those commercials? I can't even remember who it was. I think it was something to deal with stock or uh, financial matters or whatever. If, was it E.F. Hutton? Whatever E.F. Hutton says, listen. I don't even know who that guy is. But anyway, he had two initials in front of that last name. He must be important. <laughs> C.H. Spurgeon, M.L. Jones. Uh, We better pay attention. Jesus is speaking here, right? Right? So, maybe as he's saying this, and he says, listen, they're not only out there looking at at the sea, or at the seashore, right? But you can look around, you can look in the back, or maybe here on the sides, and you know what they might have out there? Fields. They, look, they can look out in the fields and he's going to tell them what's going on as he uses an illustration they could probably very easily have seen right there. It, they would have been all over the place, those fields. Flat as it's close to the, the seashore, right? And they rise up and then they go to the mountains. You know? So a sower went out to sow. We know that one. We even know that song, don't we? A sower... They'd plow rows and plow rows, and they'd use uh, an animal if they were in the luxury to have an animal. Or they'd use a John Deere, of course. (laughs) 
No. No, we know about John Deere's breakdown, so they didn't deal with those because they didn't have to worry about problems, right, Zach? <laughs> uh, a lot of them would just do it by hand. Oh, plowing a pretty good field by hand. That's, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to do a garden. You know, you, you have tillers today. They had no tillers. They'd walk up and down the rows and they'd have this bag over the shoulder and they would reach out and they would just start scattering the seed as they'd walk up and down. That's called broadcasting, right? They, they said broadcasting. You say, well, I thought that came with radio. <laughs> People use radio still today? I still do. Uh, no, nah, the radio actually stole from the agrarian society. Scattering. Broadcasting. That's what it is. When you broadcast, you just put it out. You don't know who's hearing you, but you just put it out there anyway, and hopefully a lot of people hear you, right? Well, uh, they're scattering, and hopefully these seeds will take effect. So, this needs no clarification. These people know full well what this is. is. When you have a sower walking up and down, this is really familiar. This is what the king of the universe does. He gets down on their level, and as John Calvin always said, he speaks baby talk. The Word of God actually here is baby talk, so humans can understand that. We sit in this room, and we can actually understand the mind of God yeah, to the extent of what He has revealed. Uh, that's staggering to me. How can I think the way that God thinks? Well, via the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, I can start to understand things. I don't profess to know much. Okay, I'm not up here bragging. I'm saying I know very little. <laughs> there is so much in here. I know very little. But I'll tell you what. I know the One who knows it all. And I can't wait to hear what else He's got to tell me. Right? This is all about the soil. This is all about the soil. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Okay, you can say, well, it's about the sower. And we know the sower really is going to be Jesus. And the seed is the Word of God. We know, we've know we read this many times, and if you don't believe that, then you look it up in Scripture and other places where it tells us about that. But And we'll see later that's what the idea is. But... And that's very important. I mean, don't omit the sower. Don't omit the seed. But he's going to concentrate on four soils, if we may, or three and then three, and that would be six. So I've never heard six soils. Well, hang on. We'll tell you about that. <laughs> it's not focusing on what you would think it would be there for that moment. Now, the fields in Israel, they're not fenced. They're not walled in, you know, that you'd often think of. What they would do is terrace the hillsides so they could have enough flat land so they could have uh, flat ground for the vineyards. Vineyards are very important to Israel, and so they would do that. And in the ancient times, just as in modern times, the vineyards were on the, on the hillsides and, and grain was planted in the flatlands. Okay, so they didn't put fences, the walls around, and they didn't border their fields with with those things. But they did have paths that would go through these fields. There's just fields everywhere, fields, 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 and 
you know, and you're in the summertime or springtime and you have all sorts of uh, things growing there. So they would travel through these fields. People were, they, that's where the highways were at. That's where the roads were at. That's how people moved from one village to another village, to a town to another town, from uh, Israel to other nations. They would go through there. And they'd be about three feet wide. That's how big the paths are to get through. Uh, enough for uh, to be a, a, a road as they would travel with their animals and such. So it was accessible to any kind of traveler. These roads are open. That's how they had to be. Otherwise, how would they get from one place to another? And these paths that Jesus was on or talking about, He had been on before. You remember back a few weeks ago where we talked about Jesus and the disciples and they're out in the fields on the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, as they were picking grain, they could do that as it was along that path. That was okay to do. That was, uh, that was fine. And it happened to be on the Sabbath, and that was the issue there at that time. But um, the paths are uncultivated. You don't grow anything on there. They're just they're dry. They're trodden down by people walking through. They're beaten hard as pavement. You have animals and all the hooves and you know the the donkeys and even sheep and what have you. They're all walking through there. People walking through there constantly all the time. And as you get into the dry summertime, it's like concrete. I mean, like concrete that you'd have out on the streets. That's how hard it was. Really hard. It was a great path to walk on. And uh, anyway, uh, we know if there would be some seeds scattered, their birds uh, would be likely to, uh, you know, just pick up on those. I mean, birds are a familiar problem with any kind of farmer, right? Even today. So what didn't get eaten was definitely going to be trampled on, as far as the seed are concerned. And so that's the kind of soil that that we start with, that that path, that hard path. So as he's scattering. Some of them are going to kind of blow in on that path and forget it. They're not going to grow there. Or alongside that path. There's a little bit of dirt on, uh, that's even off that path. But uh, it's probably not going to happen because birds are going to come along just like what Satan would do, as we will see later. Uh, we get to the next soil. So that's one soil. We're concentrating on the soil, right? Okay, this is second soil. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. Oh, we've got we to gotta mention that word, Mark. Immediately it sprang up. Very quickly. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. Other seed fell among... Oh, okay. There's they're right there, the rocky. So it's not talking about soil with pebbles and rocks in it. Now, the farmers took care of that. I mean, they had these things like rakes, and they would get all those rocks out of there and even probably, you know, reach down there and throw those things. You know, rocks grow. Have you ever noticed that? You know, uh, I'll tell you, especially when you move into a, a, a new house that's just been built, and you would have thought that you had gotten all the rocks out of there. And you go out there the next week, and there are more rocks, and they even look bigger. You had, you, matter of fact, you even took some of those rocks and threw them back in the back field. You know, get those out of here. And there they are again. They're multiplying. And you, matter of fact, I've heard of places in yards where they have glass that multiplies. It just keeps coming up every year, and no matter how much you get out of there, even more is there the next time. And uh, that's just a blessing because. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, you could use that glass for something, you know, or redo it, recycle it. But anyway, the rocks, the rocks. No, we're not talking about those kind of rocks. The farmers, they they dealt with that. They're farmers. They know what to do with those rocks. Uh, 
the thing is, is that what we're, what we're talking about here, and, and in the language of what it's used, and, and, and in their customs and their culture, they know what it was. Down below the dirt is limestone, bedrock limestone. Underneath, you've seen it here. You've seen it where you in Jeff City, Missouri. I think it's very interesting to people that come from Michigan. They see these bluffs and these these rocks, and it's like, wow! I'm looking at the top, and it, it doesn't seem like there is any ground up there. And then you'll see these trees growing out of the bluffs like that. Now, how do they grow there? And those are the kind of trees that die in my backyard where I plant them and give them everything they need and give them water. You know. I just don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> but the limestone we get, we see it around here. We have a lot of limestone underneath. And you say, how could anything grow there anyway? You know, I wonder if that's in my yard. <laughs> sometimes you're wondering, you see that? Well, it could be. Uh, sometimes the limestone is way up there. And your, your dirt is just barely covering that limestone. That grass is just barely covering it. Well, the plow goes in, but below there's a limestone bedrock. So that stuff exists all over the land of Israel. Limestone underneath everywhere. You know what the rabbis used to say about that? They said, God dumped all the rocks on the earth and He made a mistake. He didn't dump them all over the earth. He put most of them there in the land of Israel. It's a rocky land. You've seen pictures of it. There's just rocks, rocks everywhere, you know. Very rocky place. Underneath there is that limestone bedrock. And uh, often it can be in places where you're not going to grow anything. Seed goes in. It finds a soft soil. Starts to get life. The ground is warm. There's moisture there. It's springtime. It starts to grow the roots don't go down and they say, okay, we've got a lot of nutrients here, guys. Let's go up. Boom. And they just come up. Mark said immediately. I mean, very quickly in the springtime. For anybody else, everybody else has all their seed out. You know, they're waiting. Joe's over there is already out. Yeah, but what they don't know is that Joe has a bedrock underneath there and that thing's going to die very quickly. But it sure looks good right now. So for all those people who have a lot of flowers going on, it's all full, <laughs> wait till summertime, right? Just kidding. They hit bedrock. No nutrients. The moisture, as soon as that it gets hot, is drawn out. Whatever moisture they have there, it now is a superficial soil And the promise that they had, it dies. And Luke adds in his account in Luke 8, 6, he's saying the same parable, it had no moisture. So whenever the sun comes out in the summertime, and over in Israel it can be as as early as May, if you remember last year, about like what that was all the last year through spring on in through the summer. That's an Israel-type summer. You know, their their spring happens pretty quick. So they'd be familiar with that. They'd be familiar with that limestone and the, the stuff coming up and looking really good, and boom, that's it, you know. Now, that's two soils, right? All right, number three. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and yielded no crop. That's it. Just come up, choke it. Thorns, weeds. We know what we're talking about. 
Anybody here weeded a garden? Come on, guys. How many here have weeded a garden? Come on. <laughs> well, for the ones who haven't, you are just missing a treat. <laughs> it's a blessing. You know what it tells me? The consequences of sin. Every time I have to be pulling those weeds out, oh, this is the oh, this is Genesis three. This is where man fell. Adam, Eve, and pulling those weeds, trying to get those. And the sad thing is, you don't always get the roots out. I was pulling out weeds the other day, and my grass is not growing. It has just bare spots all over the place. Then in my driveway, man, the grass is... Man, it's like Kentucky bluegrass in there. It looks so beautiful. But on the yard, no. But in other places in the yard, and other, you know, like where, where we have flowers trying to grow, well, you have this junk. It's green stuff, but it just looks horrible. And you have some of this stuff that stinks, and it's on your fingertips. And you go, what is that? That is awful. Somebody says, that's an iron weed. And it smells like iron or something. I don't know. And I go, I wonder if that's a plant. It could. It's, maybe it's starting out ugly. So I said, I'm going to wait till Carolyn comes out and tells me about that one. But I'm pulling these things out, and a lot of them I'm getting by the root, and others I can't. And I, I don't have enough time. It's going to start getting dark. I'd like to go in underneath, pull that baby out, and get rid of it because maybe it won't come back so quick. Right? But if you get the top of them and just or what's being seen visible, I guarantee you they're going to come out with a vengeance and they're going to be there anyway. So that's that's the real issue. Uh, you got to get the whole thing out. Everybody knows fallen world weeds grow better than anything. You don't even have to feed them; they grow out faster. They grow out taller. Sometimes they can even have flowers on them. Dandelions, good seed, and dormant weeds compete together. <laughs> it's not good for the seed. It chokes them out. Now the, wor- uh, the, the weeds here is choke or squeeze. They squeeze out the life of the good seed. That's what happens. Okay, we got another soil. It's the good soil. Now there would be nutrients in the soil. And some soils would even be better than other soils. And other good soils would even... Superior soils would, could even be more superior. And they had nutrients just incredibly uh, much. The most superior crop. A good, a good soil is going to have really good crops. Soft and clean dirt. The shocking element in this one is that Jesus says, produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Whoa! They got to be saying, "Man, you are really adding on to this story," because anything that would be a, a good, normal, good growth would be seven point five percent. Did you get that? Yeah, we can round it up to eight if we like. Not even ten percent. You know what Jesus says? Tenfold would just be massive. It would be a tremendous harvest. Tenfold. It's more than 10%. We're talking 30-fold, right? You know what that is? That's 3,000%. That's, that's a tremendous growth. And, and six-fold, what? Or 60-fold, right? 30, 60. 60 is 60, how many? 
or six thousand percent, and then ten thousand percent. That's what Jesus is saying here. So we're talking a lot of power in this plant you know, that that's coming out. It's way out of sync of what they'd be familiar with. So yeah, he's saying there can be great fruit uh, out of this. And then he says in verse nine, he was saying, "He who has ears." You need to hear. If, if you're paying attention, you need to listen. He already told them to listen. And then he talks about having ears. He closes that up and says, hey, you, you really need to, to listen. This is for eternity here. You know, this is, this is something that's really important. If you look in Luke 8, 18. So, take care how you listen. Whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And that's where we get into the very next part. This is defining the parable in verses 10 through 12. Let's read it. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now, this is a Jesus hard statement. Very hard. He gets the disciples along now. How do they do that? Well, they probably went up on a mountaintop or something, right? They get away, they get alone, and now, and it's interesting, he says his followers along with the twelve. It's not just the twelve apostles, but there are other followers that want to continue to hear what he has to hear. A lot of people have left because they're tired of hearing it. You know, probably by, by the hundreds and thousands start to drift away. I mean, they don't get what he's saying. They don't really care about what he's saying. There are people today that are the same way. And he says, I'm telling you, you better listen. You better listen to what this is saying. He says, there are the ones who have done the Father's will. That do the Father's will. They're part of Him. Chapter thirty-five, verse, uh, or chapter 3, verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Those ones who are following Him and the apostles, they are the ones who desire to be obedient. They're truly related to Christ. Well, what does this mean? He says, to you, to you guys right here, you've been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. What's mystery? Mysterion. What's mysterion? Mystery. Well, what's mystery? It's one of those mystery movies that we all used to probably watch. Agatha Christie, right? I don't. I never really knew much about it. It just sounds good. <laughs> but didn't she write mysteries? Okay. Well, this mystery is something which was hidden, and we watch mysteries so that we can see the end of it, so that we can or listen to those mysteries or read those mysteries, so that at the end we'll know who it is, and we like to guess who that is, right? As we go through there. Well, this mystery is something like that. It's it's something that has been hidden, and it is now revealed. 
the end of the story. Now, now we have it. We, 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 can, we can put this together. We know what that is. God reveals His family secrets to those hearts who are open to Him. You like that? That's a mystery. He opens His secrets right on up. He says, guys, you're mine. Check this out. Well, these guys didn't really get it, what He just spoke, but they will. Family secrets. You know what? A parable has two effects. It will either, and they're opposite. It will make the truth more clear than you've ever understood before, or it will go to the point where you can't, one cannot understand it. It will become obscure. So that's the thought there. In Isaiah 6, and what Jesus did here, in Isaiah 6, you want to turn there? He quotes Scripture. Now fancy that. The Word of God is quoting the Word of God. (laughs) This is really Jesus' words, but it came through the prophet Isaiah, or to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 6, you're familiar with, right? This is where you have the great vision in the temple. And I don't have enough time to get the context like I'd like to, but in verse 9, as... Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord here. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? This is in verse 8. Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. And here's our quote. Go and tell them this, Isaiah. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their eyes dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now, Jesus kind of quotes from that. That's right out of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 or 10. And other people use that too. And other Gospels, and later on we'll see it in other places. Don't have the time to turn there, but you get uh, definitely this thought. And this, uh, this is about the, the unbelieving Jews of the time of Isaiah. And they're going to be deported to Babylon. Captivity, right? And uh, before that, he says, I'm bringing judgment. And Isaiah, you're going to tell the people, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go out there and tell the news. Oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. Yeah. Who shall I send? Well, Isaiah says, hey, send me. And God says, well, okay. You're going to tell them that they have eyes to see and ears to hear. They're not going to get it. And that's the kind of production you're going to have. But then he does say, there is a remnant. There are a few who will want it, who will get it. How would you like to be a preacher or a prophet and be told, go out and tell the news and you're not going to get hardly any response? Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that? Have you ever told the good news to people, to family, friends, neighbors? And they just don't care. This is what's going on. This is God's truth. If you have ears, you better hear well, how long do I preach to the crowd, Isaiah says, <laughs> till there's no more cities and no more towns. It's an act of judgment. Mm. Matthew 13. Ooh. This is a difficult statement. Matthew 13, verses 11 through 15. Disciples ask, why are you speaking in parables? 
Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, To you, look at this, to you it has been granted. You've been graced. You've been given this. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that incredible? To know the mysteries of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. But to them, do you catch this? Look at this. It has not been granted. Most people will either stumble over that or just read it or won't even read it. They don't like this part. Some He grants to and to others He doesn't. You can say, what kind of God is that? That's not fair. Why does He reveal it to anybody? That's the question. Why would He reveal it to these sinning human beings who all deserve hell? Every last one of us sitting in this room deserve hell and we know it. Why would He reveal it to us? Why? Whoever has to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. If they know a little bit about him, he will take take it away. He'll take it away. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled right now. Right in front of your eyes, it's being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You, you can read it. We've read it. There it is. He quotes, Matthew says the same thing. Wow. That is incredible. To them, it has not been granted. Tough. This is tough stuff. For the disciples, it's revelation to them. For anyone who wants to listen. To others, He obscures, He keeps the truth from them. Those who would not accept His clear teaching reached a point where they didn't get clarity. That appears even in the New Testament on unbelieving Israel. Most of them received Him not. 1 Corinthians 14 says, He speaks to them in tongues which they cannot understand. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe. You catch that? Most people kind of forget about that. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Tongues. Tongues. You wouldn't listen when I explained everything. Now I'm going to tell you riddles without explanation. You wouldn't listen when I spoke to you in your own language. I'm going to speak to you in a language that you never have understood and won't understand and it's dealing with judgment. You know what? He did that. He's done it before. He did it whenever He came to Israel and judged them. And there came the Babylonians who speak Babylonian. Babel, 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 Babel. (laughs) That's what it was to them. It was to a foreign language. Now they get it. That's a judgment language. Israel. New Testament, 70 A.D., the Romans. The Romans come and conquer Jerusalem, burn the city down. Some live through it, many don't. He came, they brought the Latin language to them. They didn't understand. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to those who are unbelievers. I think that's incredible. Right out of 1 Corinthians 14, which quotes Isaiah. So that's really what their big use is for. When the heart is hard, it's unresponsive. 
Now, now believe me, somebody can, they can take that, that tongue and, and they would actually be convinced of God's truth. And you'll see that in the New Testament. They were unbelievers. <laughs> it's not that we're to be speaking tongues as to believers and we don't even know what we're, each one is talking about. So you've got to take context of what's going on. And uh, I think that that's, that's said here in, in, in what's, what's going on here. He made it very obscure by bringing a foreign language to them. When the heart is hard, it's unresponsive. It doesn't receive. It doesn't want. It gets harder. And the seed is snatched. But when the heart is open, it receives what God has to say. And it receives more and more light and more light. We have a couple of minutes, but we've already kind of talked about it. It's already clear. If you are of the Lord's, right? You already kind of know. We're going to decode the parable. We really probably should stop here. You want to know why? Because it says one hour and 35 seconds. But if we can do this in a couple of minutes, can you sit here for a couple of minutes? I'll go over time. The key. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? I think uh, we get that in, uh, in, in Matthew. They didn't. How, how are you going to understand parables? Verse 13, Mark 4.13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Right? You, you don't understand what this is? I know you didn't, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you the answer. How are you going to understand any of the other parables? Do you see why this is the key to all the other parables? Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables then? That's why this is so key. A lot of the other parables talk about the same thing. The tree and the dragnet and all that stuff. It's saying there are going to be people who hear the gospel. They've heard it over and over. And the more they hear it, they've heard it down and through the years, but they've not really taken it in. He says, I'm going to take it from them eventually, and that's going to be it. He's raising the stakes here to motivate them to listen carefully. Right? These are ears to hear. And he said, listen, here I'm going to tell you why. If you get this one, you're going to get all the rest. Boy, when you go, okay, I'm not concentrating on anything else. Just this right now. I'm going to hear what Jesus said. I mean, whatever he says, I, I wish I had a pencil. <laughs> but I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen good. Sower in the seed. Matthew 13:37, I think, says that the sower is the, the son, son of man. And also, it's all believers. Scatter. Seed. Right? Uh, so we're the seed, seed, word of God. That's described in other places. And you can say, I don't see it. Well, you have to look it up. You have to take my word because we're moving this thing in two minutes, okay? Uh, what about beside the road? Okay, that, that hard path and whatever. The beaten paths, what do they represent? Hard heart. The soils is about the heart that receives the seed or the word. They're so hardened, they're not stirred by truth. It doesn't matter. They may not even have a life of gross sin. I mean, they look so good. They look like believers. They profess Jesus Christ. And you know what? They really don't have any interest in God's Word or anything whatsoever. And if they do, uh, it's a superficial interest. In this sense here, Satan is going to snatch up whatever they have and just take it. 
What's the next one? What's the rocky, right? It's the rocky soil, and we've already seen that. We can read through here. Uh, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. They, when they hear immediately, Satan comes, takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, the limestone, who then hear the word, immediately receive it with what? Joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately they fall away. What happens? Persecution. Oh, it gets a little bit hard. It gets a little tough. Now it's not as easy. They were joyful all the time. They were singing the songs and neat and cool things were happening and everybody was around. They were uh, you know, visiting each other and having great cookouts and everything. Oh man, these people are really going on. Affliction then comes. It's just like the sun. They came out with joy and boom, you know, looked like a, a, a flower coming out, the sun comes in, dries them out, withers that shallow profession of faith that they had, and true belief is going to be something that um, weathers affliction. Trials, persecution comes along, and they still are able to stand firm. Sometimes weekly, that tree gets blown. <laughs> Sometimes you ever seen those trees that look like they're going to, you know, they're just going down, you know, going to pull the roots out of there. That does happen sometimes. But in this case, if they're of God, He's going to make sure that that tree continues to keep growing. But these people, they don't like the trials, they don't like the affliction, don't like the suffering, so they just, hey, I've had enough. I'm out of here. <laughs> right? I don't need that stuff. That happened in the early church too. Well, Jesus is, is just making it clear to them what's going to happen. They need to know this. Then you have the thorny soil. Um, verse 18, Others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. They hear the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitful of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Easy to understand, isn't it? As we decode this parable, we see this as a divided heart. It's overcome by the love for riches. The love of money. The love of things. No one can serve two masters. Right? They have two masters. Uh, It's been said that consumerism, materialism, would be a more effective killer of Christianity than communism. Hmm. G. Campbell Morgan said, Persecution is only Satan's second greatest weapon. His first is materialism. This society that we live in, this Christian society. (laughs) Francis Schaeffer said, The world worships the God of personal peace and affluence. The world worships that. If you look in James 4, 4, it talks about loving the world. In 1 John chapter 2, loving the world. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Don't have time to turn to them. But it's talking about the riches. It's talking about the riches that can choke believers even. I'm not saying they lose their salvation, but they can get choked by it so easily. All of us here are susceptible to any of these. We are not those soils if we're believers, but I can tell you that sometimes we can be a hard path. In a sense, we're not receiving God's Word. We're very good, thorny, rocky. 
But there's the good soil. By the way, have you noticed in those three soils you get your enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil? Did you catch it? The world is talking about where we just were talking about here. Uh, where it's talking about the deceitful of riches, desires for other things, right? The worries of the world, all those things. Those people finally drop out. Well, that's the world temptation. And of course, the flesh is dealing with the rocky soil. That's a superficial profession of faith because everything is going really good. People, because of their emotions, are stirred by the calling down to the uh, walk down through the aisle and uh, say the sinner's prayer. And emotionally, they have become really joyful out of this. And later on, we don't see anything stick. This is describing it. Exactly what happens right before us. And of course, the devil... World, the flesh, the de- devil is the one who comes along that hard soil and takes it away, right? Takes it away. He, he blinds the unbeliever, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We've got to close here. The seed of God's Word does not bounce off the surface of this kind of heart. And we'll read it. Verse 20. This is the good soil, or three good soils here. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Now, it doesn't momentarily flourish, only to shrivel when the adversity hits. It's not divided by competing desires and being strangled. A good soil is not. It's a heart that allows God's Word to come in, to take root, to go deep, to keep going deeper. And it produces, first, a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, (coughs) peace, patience, kindness. Patience, kindness. You guys catch that? Patience, kindness, goodness. Yes! Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the kind of thing. That's the kind of soil that is there And then it's also a harvest of good works, being able to do those things. It desires to be prepared by the master gardener. Take over, gardener. Take over. Do your thing in me. Grows a rich harvest. You know what? This whole parable explains how God's Word is received. Does it help you better understand what is happening whenever people start bowing out of Christianity. And to us as Christians, I don't want to misapply this, but can those soils kind of in a sense remind us too? Are we sometimes rocky? Thorny? We let the weeds choke us out? We know when we distribute the Gospel, seed may not reach the hearer Seed's been sown, but the hearer just doesn't get it, doesn't care. But some seed will bring a harvest. Do we know that? So don't give up. Uh, It will not return void. It will produce an effect. One way or the other way. And that's what Jesus did. That's what He expects us to do. The psalmist said this. God's Word is just being blessed here. He who continually goes forth weeping 
bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Might be a lot of weeping because we see the loss not responding. But there's going to be something that happens, and some receive it. Thank the Lord that He gave us this mystery for it helps us understand His way, His kingdom better. It's a mystery of the kingdom. And it's deep. Did you guys catch how deep this is? But Jesus revealed it to them. Let's pray.